I'm going to be reading from these first, well, actually verses 18 and 19 in the book of Deuteronomy. Let me get my, get my scriptures ready. Here we go. Ready? Say amen. 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 Deuteronomy 9, uh, 29, verse 18 and 19. The word of the Lord says, Beware, least or lest there be amongst you a man or woman or clan or tribe, whose heart is turned away from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware, lest there be amongst you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. Verse 19, one who, uh, one who, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe. Now I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. This will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. Father, we ask you that as we have embarked upon your word this morning, after coming out of a time of praise and worship through song, we pray that our heart would already be tender to hear what you would have for us this morning. God, I pray that the work of the Holy Spirit here this morning will be so overwhelming, Father, that we can't do anything else but to respond to the word that we hear this morning. I pray, Lord, for those who are carrying a heavy burden. I pray that they would lay it at the foot of the cross. I pray for those, Lord, who is dealing with bitterness or anything, Lord, that is at the root of their heart. Father, that they would be willing, God, as you serve it up to them in their heart and mind, bring it to their remembrance, Lord. So, Father, we might bring it to you. I pray for the one here today who is lost and undone and does not know the saving grace of Jesus. Father, you would save them according to your sovereign will. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So today, as we are looking at Deuteronomy chapter 29, we're almost through the, the entirety of the book. But today is a day that's just like any other day on our calendar, at least it should be. Today is a day just like any other day in the walk of a Christ follower with Jesus. It is a day of eternal and internal examination. It should be a day just like every day of our lives. It should be so automatic now that it should be one of internal examination. Who am I in Jesus? How's my walk with Christ? And in one stroke today, we'll be examining the Word of God together, and then in another stroke, the Word of God will be examining us. I like that expression. I'll never forget this, this Gideon, um, this person who was uh, ministering into, uh, with, the, with the Gideons, and he had gone into prisons and, prisons, and he was talking about this one inmate who talked about how he had a little Gideon Bible, and he would, and he would roll up his cigarettes through the Gospels, and as he was tearing them off and rolling his cigarettes, he was reading Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and he said, I smoked Matthew, Mark, Luke, but when I got to the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John smoked me. And so that is my prayer this morning. As we examine God's Word, the Word of God will examine us. Again, this is one of those days that is just like every day in our walk with the Lord. When we would ask the Holy Spirit to serve up in front of us 
our motives, our deepest and darkest sinful inclinations, and that the Holy Spirit would serve them to us like as on a silver platter before us. Lord, I want to know my struggles. I want to know some of the things that I might not be aware of. And may your Holy Spirit bring them to my heart and mind and the things that I might struggle with, those deep, dark, sinful inclinations and bitterness. Lord, that you would serve them to me so that I can, so that I can see these things before me. So we ask the Lord to reveal those things, and sometimes it has very deep roots, very deep roots, years of bitterness, years of unforgiveness. Paul Tripp stated this of sin. He said, sin doesn't always look sinful to us. Sometimes it looks beautiful. Sometimes it carries the illusion of being beautiful. That's why we need grace to see sin for what it really is. And what is it? It is dark, it is dangerous, it is enslaving, and it is destructive. And I would add, it's sneaky. It's sneaky. So I would pray something like this. By the time we get done with this sermon today, this would be my prayer. We, we, Lord, teach me to pray. Show me something to pray for. Holy Spirit, reveal my deep-rooted sin to me today. The sermon will challenge us to search our hearts and then to lay them at the feet of Jesus. And some of these deep-rooted sins might be unforgiveness, it might be idolatry, it might be unconcerned with the things of the Lord, just disinterested with the things of God. We say we love Jesus, we say we're a Christ follower, but, but then we don't live like we love Him. Unconcerned with the things of the Lord, or maybe just plain lostness. Just plain lostness. Deuteronomy 29, I want to chart through some of the verses together with you. I hope you brought your Bible with you to chart through chapter 29 together because the, the earlier portions of these verses and the latter are not going to be on the screen. So. If you have your Bible, I'll ask you if you'll trot with me through them, and there's a Bible in your pew as well if you didn't bring that. But we're going to trot through Deuteronomy 29, and as we close, we close in on the death of the patriarch Moses. We find that Moses is given a reiteration. In fact, Deuteronomy means second law. It's a giving of the second law. We find he is reminding them to continue on. As they cross Jordan, he's reminding them to keep on. Last week, Moses is standing addressing the people of Israel. He's commanding them. He's giving them imperatives, commands by the word of the Lord to make these small uncut stones, unhewn by any, by any device. Lay them at the foot of the Jordan when you cross over, uncut, and lay them on the shore. And on these stones you will write the commands of God you will write the laws that are given to the people, cursing and blessings included. And once they wrote these laws on the stone, they would cover it with plaster and lime to seal in the word of God. So if anyone desired to come back to the brook, anyone desired to come back to peer in on these commands and to be reminded of the history of the people, it would be easy to do so. So the application was very simple. And we must go back to the water of the Word of God often. We must dip back into the Word often. 
and be reminded what the Lord has said to us through his revelation. Then to remember where we come from, remember where God has brought us from, and God will direct our worship to his son. So if you're writing that down, it is remember God's word, read God's word often, remember where God brought you from, and then that God will redirect our worship towards him. So now, you and I, who are in Jesus, we are living testimonies of the Lord, and we are not static stones laying on the bank of the Jordan. We are living stones. We are living testimonies. We are an expression of Jesus wherever we go, and if we fail to do that, are we in sin? The onset of chapter 29, Moses reminds the people of the covenant given to them by the Lord. He called all the people in the assembly. Again, he reminds them. He puts the past before them often. He says, you saw everything that the Lord did before your eyes in Egypt to the Pharaoh. If you were not there, you heard about it. The old tradition, this passing down of what happened in Egypt. You heard about it. You, you know about it. It is, it is brought alive to you by the word of our testimony how God brought us out of the land of Egypt by his mighty and his strong hand. You have seen all the Lord did with your own eyes and you've heard it with your ear, ears, but mostly how God supplied your needs. You have seen with your own eyes how these 40 years in the wilderness, the clothes on your back didn't tear, didn't have any holes. The shoes on your feet didn't tear, didn't wear off. I don't know about you, but I have witnessed the Lord do some great things in my life, and you have too. But I've never had a pair of shoes left for 40 years. Growing up in high school, um, well, really it was pre, it was... 7th, 8th grade. One of my all-time favorite guitar heroes of all time was Mr. Edward Van Halen. And I bought a shirt that had his depiction, his picture on it, when I was in the 7th or 8th grade. And I probably wore that thing twice a week. And I remember, once I graduated from high school, I had that t-shirt in a box. Now, do you think when I pulled that t-shirt out of that box, do you think it looked brand new? It had holes in it. It had the front of the, the picture was all distorted. It was, it, the color was all different. The, I mean, it, it, looked, it looked very worn. It looked very worn. I never had a shirt or a pair of pants or a pair of shoes that lasted 40 years. And these words remind me of the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said this in Matthew 66 uh, and verse 31. He says, so don't ever worry by saying, what are we going to eat or what are we going to drink, or what are we going to wear? God has been good to us. He has supplied all of our needs, the things that we need in life, number one being salvation. But I don't know anyone in here today who is begging for bread. I might not be the smartest man in the world, but if the Lord can provide for his people for 40 years walking through a desolate place, and if he can spin the lilies of the field, if he can, if he can uh, grant me salvation, if he can forgive me of my dreadful sinfulness, then surely he can bring me and you through whatever is hindering us today. 
So I've got to ask, what is hindering us? What is hindering you from drawing near to the Lord? What is hindering you? See, we serve a provisional God. He wants you to pursue Him. He wants you to pursue His righteousness. He wants you to pursue Him to know more about Him. But the sad reality is this. If there is unconfessed sin in our life, if there is unconfessed sin in our life, we just do not pursue Jesus as we should. That's the downward effect. Moses continues his message. You didn't have, you didn't have the ordinary provisions that you would normally have to eat. You had manna from heaven, water from a rock. God supplied the needs. You didn't have the normal foods that you might would have had if, say, you were already in the land of milk and honey. You didn't have the things that were offered to you in Egypt to eat. You didn't have the normal, ordinary provisions. It was so that you could learn to trust in God's provision. Trust that God was going to provide. And even on the day of rest, you would collect enough to see you through that day. Trust in God's provision. If you cannot trust God to provide you one piece of bread or something to eat, how in the world are you going to trust Him as your ultimate deliverer? Even in the sight of the enemies, the Lord has given victory. As long as you look to the Lord for your total provision and your, your substance, you will be wise in everything you do. And so we talked about these cursings last week. If you want to do it all your own way, well, your land's going to be cursed. Your crops are going to be cursed. You want to do it your way? Fine. You'll find how hard it is in life. Do it your own way? Fine. You find how far you stray from him. He will elevate you as a people for his sake and for his glory. He will be a God to you as he promised you, as he swore to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Lord is still the Lord of the whosoever will, the Jew and the Gentile and the God-fearer. Whoever is here with us standing in the presence of God today, as well as those who aren't here with us, he says. You have seen with your own eyes how people will chase after idols, people will chase after other things in life who have no breath in them whatsoever. They have no life in them, no spirit in them, and yet, and yet we chase idols as if they are the answer to everything in our life. And you can, you can catalog what those idols might be for you. You catalog what they might be. I, I would challenge you, before we carry on, I, I would challenge you, take you out a sheet of paper and write down those things in your life, the things that you love to do, the things that you love to participate in. Write those things down as if they are a potential idol. And ask the Lord to reveal to you, am I getting too close? Am I getting too close of the edge of idolatry? Am I getting too close to the edge of putting this thing before the worship of Jesus? Make a, a, an idol inventory, if you will. Make an idol inventory. Am I getting too close? Am I getting too close to putting things before the worship of Jesus? 
Now, this catches us up to where we need to be in verse 18. And if I was to put a subtext to this uh, sermon that I've entitled, What Lies at the Root, I would also say, because this mentions twice in verse 18, beware of the poison. Beware of the poison. And what, that, what might that be? Well, for Israel's case, it was idolatry. It was chasing idols, chasing other gods, not trusting in the Lord Jesus or, or the Lord God. For us, it would be not trusting in Christ as our total provision. He says, Beware, lest there be amongst you a man or a woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of the nations. Beware, lest there be amongst you a root that is bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. For Israel, it was turning back to the gods that, that they were it was surrounding in their life. For, for Israel in Egypt, it was the false gods. And, and the Lord systematically tore down each and every one of those gods when he brought the plagues. He tore down the, those false gods and deities and, and showed not only Egypt but Israel that he is the 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 God of gods, if you will. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he is Lord over any idol that has ever existed. In fact, they are crushed under his feet, and the Lord provided that visual for them while they were in Egypt. But they chose to chase other gods and other things. Verse 18 reveals the heart of the Lord, and this stands the test of time through Scripture. And through history. And here it is. No matter where you are and who you are, God desires his people to be turned towards he and he alone and not to be coaxed and tempted towards other idols. And this goes in the wording of this. We don't care if you're a man. I don't care if you're a woman. I don't care what clan you're from, what tribe you're from. I don't care if you're white. I don't care if you're black. I don't, I don't care what your ethnicity is, what language you speak. I don't care where you are from, what your background is. You could be a sinner. You could be a saint. God wants all folks to chase him and not idols. What perverts the heart? What is poisonous to our walk with the Lord? What has those deep roots? Could it be false doctrines? Certainly. Could it be idol worship? Yeah. Could it be unbelief? Yeah. Could it be unforgiveness? Certainly. Could it be bitterness? Here's a question that I have never heard phrased this way. And I'm going to ask you this, because I've like battled with this question. Here it is. Ready? Are you loving someone or something better than God? Are you loving someone or something better than God? And that could be looked at two ways. The question could be, are you loving something more, uh, someone more or better than God? Is there something better than God that you can love? No. Is there something better than God that you can cast your affections on? No. The second way that we can ask that, are you loving something better than or more than God? Okay, so you're kind of asking the, the, the same question but phrased a little bit differently. Are you seeking something more than you are the Lord God? Are you living for money instead of for Christ? Are you living for some notoriety? Uh, are you living for something else other than God? 
And then Moses is standing, he's addressing the people. He's kind of laying this out. Don't chase these idols. We know that there is an extensive history already in place of people chasing after other things instead of God. In fact, I believe it is in our DNA. It is in our fallen spiritual DNA, as the songwriter says, that we are prone to wander from God. Even as Christ's followers, if we do not get in God's Word, if we do not spend time with Him, you will wander from God. Not out of salvation, but you will fall out of that close, that closeness that you have with God. You will certainly fall out of, of worship. We are prone to, to wander. Come thou fount of every blessing. We are prone to wander away from God. Now, for the people of Israel, Moses is imploring them to notice the false god, catalog them, take, a, take a, an, a, an idol inventory. At every stage in their history, there's been obstacles. And not one problem was solved by any of these idols. Not one problem was solved by any of these false gods. Sin does not discriminate against a man or a woman, a clan or a tribe. It touches all of us, and it drives us farther from God. Just as God implores the nations to come to him, and it does not discriminate, sin does not discriminate either. Look at verse 19 with me. Verse 19 says, uh, one who, here's, here's the bitterness of the heart kind of displaying itself. One who, when, the, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart saying, I'll be safe. Even, I, even if I walk in stubbornness of my own heart, this will lead to a sweeping. It's going to work itself out. Okay, and then I will, it's going to work itself out. <laughs> I almost want to say that this is kind of where we might get the phrase, well, bless your heart. Although I can't be 100% on that, it certainly sounds like it. This is a person in his own heart is thriving in his own stubbornness. He is, they have planted his feet and they will not be moved. The stubbornness of this person where bitterness has taken root in the heart is stubborn even in their stubbornness, if that makes sense. So the hyperbolic language might be something like this. All they know is how to be stubborn. They are a stubborn individual. You might say, well, well, look, Brother Joe over here, what would you say about his character? Well, he is one stubborn person. This is a person in this context who has heard the commands and the decrees of God, who have sat under the preached word, the expounded commands in Scripture. They have set under the commands and the decrees of the Lord with his blessings and his cursings and said, I am still going to do it my own way. I'm still going to do it my way. I don't care what the Lord says on this. I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. This is the stubbornness to the extreme. Theologian Adam Clark said on this level of stubbornness, he said, this is the proverbial expression denoting the utmost indulgence in all sensual gratifications. 
In other words, it is a self-gratification of the flesh. The Bible tells us in Galatians that if we will, if we will not walk in the flesh, right? We will not walk, we will fulfill, if we do not walk in the flesh, that Bible tells us, and walk in the spirit of the Lord, right? So here's the person, this utmost indulgence in all sensual gratifications. The greatest lie that people can believe is they are fine in their sinful state and they can handle it on their own. And yet we stack in our lives everything instead of what we need. In other words, as Adam Clark said, we self-gratify when Jesus wants to be our all in all. You know, the ancient Epicureans who are, by the way, they are uh, sometimes quoted in Scripture uh, as, to be, as to say, not be this way, all right? The ancient Epicureans had a saying, which is also stated in Luke chapter 12, verse 19. Really, the essence of this saying is to eat, drink, and be merry. Eat, drink, and be merry, and gratify the flesh. Gratify whatever, whatever it is that you want to do, do it. And I'm afraid that that has become many of our lives' mottos without really being aware. Many of us have gone, gone to the place with, where our hearts have been seduced by indulging in whatever we want in life without discipline. And so Moses, Moses is giving a stern warning about this. I'll never forget walking through conflict resolution with the church one time. And I read the word of the Lord. And he said to me, well, I know what the Bible says, but, but, stubbornness, stern warning. In our own stubbornness, we have been carrying around mess that should have been given to the Lord a long, long time ago. Things that should have been laid at the foot of the cross a long time ago. The Bible says that the anger of the Lord is kindled against such a person. Enter into the Son of God, who died on the cross to take our sins upon himself. He takes our sinful desires, and he crushes them under the power of the Holy Spirit. Moses continues to address the people if you follow through. He addresses the next generation. And there's coming a time in their history when Israel's very posterity will be threatened. They will be exiled for 70 years and their very posterity will be threatened. There will come a time when the foreigner will overtake them because of their own sinfulness. And all the nations will say of Israel, why has the Lord done thus to this land? What caused the heat of this great anger? It's because they turned their back on God and have been stubborn in their heart. They have abandoned the word of the Lord and they have chased after other things. They have failed to worship God. The Lord will uproot them and will cast them to another land. He will cut down the tree to rebuild. So here's the questions in closing. What lies 
at your root? What lies at the root of your heart? Is it sinfulness, maybe pride, stubbornness? Maybe that has poisoned your roots. There was one time healthy. Has unforgiveness permeated and toxified the whole root? My question is, why do we carry that around? Why do we carry it around? Cast it off at the feet of Christ. For Israel, it was the sin of idolatry and stubbornness on the horizon, and it might be the same for you. You don't have to carry around this unnecessary baggage. It reminds me of a story of two farmers. Um, it's back in the day, and sometimes even today, farmers help each other out in the fields. And, and these two farmers, one day, they're walking through this countryside, and they're surveying some land. And they were on their way to help another, uh, to plot another, uh, another piece of land and, and to help bring in some crops for those who might need some help. As, as they walked along in, through this field, they come upon a stream. And as they got closer, they looked on this stream, and they saw an elderly lady sitting on the edge of this stream. She was obviously distraught. But she was so upset because there was no bridge and she couldn't get across on her own. I mean, if she stepped down in this stream, it would surely sweep her, sweep her away or she might fall and trip on the rocks and get hurt. And she, So there's no bridge here. I don't know where to cross at. The first farmer kindly offered. He said, well, we'll help you get across. We'll carry you across if you would like. She gratefully accepted. Thank you. And two men joined hands. You know how you put hands together hoist somebody up. Now, they put two hands together and, they, and they, uh, they carried this lady across between the two of them. Now, before they reached the other side, the woman climbed off the back of the second farmer so that she could step up on the land. They finally reached the other side and the woman was very grateful. The farmers pressed on ahead and after they had walked a mile or so, they walked probably about five miles altogether and the second farmer began to complain. He said, look at, look at this, how muddy I got uh, from, from this woman on my bag. Look, look, she tore my pocket on my, on my favorite flannel shirt. She tore my pocket off the front of this. Look, look at this. Look, look what she did. My back is stiff. My back is hurting. I'm like, I don't know. I carried on a little bit further. First farmer smiled as he looked at him, and he didn't say a word. He just nodded his head. A few more miles up the road, the second farmer began to grumble again. My back is hurting me so badly. I don't know if I can carry on. I know it's because the woman that, was, that we carried across this river, something has messed my back up, and I don't think that I can press on any further. First farmer looked to his partner, who was still moaning in pain and complaining, and he said, well, have you... Have you wondered why I am not complaining? Have you wondered why I haven't said a word about my back or complained at all? He said, yeah, man, what, what gives? He says, your back is hurting because you're still, you're still carrying the woman on your back. You've been carrying her for five miles and didn't even know about it. That is what many of us are like, dealing with stubbornness and sin that has taken root in our heart. We are unnecessarily carrying around, and we are the second farmer who cannot let go. 
We hold on to grudges, unforgiveness, toxic traditions. We, we hold on to sin. We hold on to hatred. All the while, the Lord wants us to set them down at the foot of the cross. So, what is harboring the roots of your, in your heart today? What is in your heart? What is, and, and my prayer for you would be, Lord, I can't identify. May the Holy Spirit reveal those things to you. What is harboring in the roots of your heart? Am I... Am I harboring unforgiveness, sin, bitterness, idolatry, which was the case for some of those in the heart of Israel? But I'm reminded of this truth, and I'm going to close on this verse. And we're going to sing, we're going to sing here in a moment the song of invitation. And I'm going to come down, and as we sing that song, the altar is going to be open. Those who might want to come and pray and don't know what to pray, Lord, reveal my heart to me. Simple as that. You might be here today and you don't, might not know Christ. Lord, save me by your grace. I ask forgiveness of my sin. Maybe that's you here today. It makes me think of this verse, and I'll close on this. Romans 6.22 says, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, slaves in the good sense, the fruit you get leads to sanctification. And it's end eternal life. I like that word sanctification because part of laying down the baggage is this sanctification, this ongoing process of looking more like Jesus every day. So for the next step in our lives as Christ followers, it might mean sanctification for us. A little bit of that is setting down that baggage that is hindering us from worshiping Jesus today. I'll ask you if you will, let's pray together.